Ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chicky Fitzgerald. Good afternoon. This is Chicky Fitzgerald. And today is a very, very important day. It's a, a, an extremely momentous occasion. Some of you may not remember where you were on this day, but I can guarantee our guest remembers exactly where he was. Our guest today is Dave Sanderson, and he was the last passenger out on the U.S. Airways flight that went down on the Hudson River in New York City, and he is going to tell us quite a bit about that day. We are going to be talking about the framework of what he learned as a result of that day, and the book he has written to pull all of this together is a book called Moments Matter, How One Defining Moment Can Create a Lifetime of Purpose. Dave, welcome. Chicky, thank you so much for having me on such a special day. Well, I, you know, I am just so uh, excited about the timing and, you know, it's so funny because I wasn't aware when, uh, when we connected of how close we were to the 10 year anniversary. And I, I do remember that day and, you know, having spent the bulk of my life in the travel industry, uh, when an airplane goes down, uh, you know, it, it absolutely gets my attention, right? And, and we all pay attention for different reasons. I was definitely glued to the TV that day. Um, Dave, before we jump into your actual story about that experience, why don't you set the stage and, and give us a little bit of the backstory of Dave Sanderson? Well, thank you. Yes, it was, Chicky, it's just another normal day. I was at that point in time, I was actually doing two things. I was a sales manager for a very large technology firm. And that's why I was traveling on that day. Because uh, I was, we were in a three-day uh, business tour for that uh, organization. But I was also a head of security for a gentleman by the name of Tony Robbins while I was doing this. So I had the opportunity to learn and be mentored by Tony for several years before that day. So I was I was very uh, fortunate to be able to be able to do those things. And I was doing like most fathers do. I was trying to make sure that I could give my family what they needed to be able to uh, have a nice life. And uh, so I was working hard, traveling a lot. Unfortunately, I think I look back, I probably would have done that differently now. I would have <laughs> traveled as much as I had was doing at that point in time. But it was, um, I think it was just one, one of those things where I was just a, a normal sales manager doing what I was supposed to do. And and all of a sudden, something happens, it changes the uh, destiny of your life. Right. And Dave, you, you had uh, a partner in, in creating this book, Cindy Wrightson. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you encountered her and how she ended up uh, partnering with you on this journey of taking your experiences and putting them to paper? Well, I'm so blessed that Cindy wanted to join me on this, on this journey. I've, I've known Cindy for over 20 years at this point in time uh, when we started the book project. Uh, she and I, she had also had a role with the Tony Robbins organization. So she and I got to know each other for those several years as we traveled the world together, different countries, different cultures. And 
So when it came time to do this, I, I, I already had a feeling that I wanted somebody like Cindy who has an unbelievably creative mind, uh, but also can bring a story together to make it uh, where people can truly understand it and simplify it in a way so they can walk away with at least one nugget, if not several nuggets. So I, I was very fortunate that Cindy came to work with me on this project and it was, um, it was, it was her first book. It was my first solo book because I had also been a contributing author to another book, but it was, um, I was very blessed to have her. Well, that, that is really terrific. So, so Dave, when, when you boarded that plane that day, I, I know sometimes we, we feel some trepidation and, you know, I have certainly uh, spent a lot of time over the course of my career. I, I did international business development for uh, a number of years, almost 20 years. And, you know, some days just feel a little different and you pray a little harder on takeoff, just, you know, Lord, keep us safe and, you know, put, put your angels on, on the wings. And I, I will tell you, somebody must've been praying that day for angels to be on the wings of that aircraft. So, so talk to me about, about that day. I mean, how your day went from the time you got up to, to when, uh, when the accident happened. Chicky, I wasn't supposed to be on that plane. I, I had excuse me, scheduled to be on the five o'clock flight because that day we started at approximately 5 a.m. in a distribution center in Brooklyn, New York, and we were doing a technology systems check. So we started really early because distribution centers open early, and that's what all the action is when the trucks are coming in and logistics. So we were in there very early, so we got done early. We got done roughly around 10 o'clock that morning. So I was at the end of a three-day business trip, um, and I was wanting to get home. I was like, I was going to surprise my family. I was going to see if I could catch an earlier flight. So I called our travel agent and I worked with her. And then she put me on flight 1549. I, I gave up a first class seat at five o'clock for seat 15A on 1549. But I was, um, I was just happy to be able to go home early. And there was nothing extraordinary about the day chick. I mean, everybody knows a little bit about that day now because it was 11 degrees and snowing. It was extremely cold, but that's no big deal in New York in the winter. I mean, it's supposed to be cold. Right. Uh, so that's no big deal. And the planes were backed up and delayed because of weather, which is no big deal because that happens all the time likewise. So there's nothing extraordinary about, you know, the lead up of that. And like most people, I was, I was already had status. You know, I was a chairman with U.S. Airways, so I had status. So I was one of the first passengers to board the plane that day after first class because of that status. And I didn't pay attention, and I'm going to be very honest and candid. I never really paid attention before because I fly so often like you did. Right. You know everything. You know everything, right? So it's like, what's the big deal? So didn't pay attention, didn't know where the exits were, didn't read the brochure. I, I checked off every box that you should not do when you get on a plane. <laughs> um, and, and I was in C-15A, so I was four rows behind the left wing. So I wasn't even on the exit row, so I was like, I didn't have to pay attention for that. Right. So, uh, you know. It was one of those things. I, I was checking out, reading a magazine like I always did because I just wanted to zone out at that point in time. When the bird strike happened, and, and for those who, who don't know, uh, it, it was a flock of birds uh, that uh, were misguided, clearly, uh, you know, flying directly into the engine. Uh, that had to have created uh, just a physical jolt, first of all, 
and, and then the shock and realization that something had happened that could be life-threatening. Yes, that's actually the word I use is jolt. I did, that's what I did in my TED talk. I initially called it jolt because it was a jolt. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, when I looked up and I looked out the window because I was on a window seat, I could see fire coming out from underneath the left wing because I was behind it. So I knew something had happened. Um, but that, I think I tell people, I think that's part of what happened, that part of the miracle. There's so many small miracles that added up to a large miracle because at that point, no one knew what happened on the left side of the plane where I was sitting also happened on the right side, and it happened simultaneously. And, I, and so you heard one big boom and felt one big jolt, but it happened on two different sides. So uh, like most of business people on the plane, I thought, okay, it happened on our side. Plane has multiple engines. I know that because I fly so often. We'll go back to LaGuardia, go back to the airport, no big deal. And I... I hallucinate, and after speaking with a lot of the passengers on the other side of the plane, I think many of them had a very similar perspective. It's like, you know, we got another engine, we'll just circle around. So I think that was part of the miracle that really, you know, I, I share that when I speak because I don't want people to understand. It was, you know, I, I believe if you would have heard Chicky boom, boom, two right. different hits, then you're thinking, what are you thinking? You're thinking terrorist attack, you're thinking other things. Right. And all of a sudden your mind goes a different direction. So if, I think that was one of the blessings of that day that really well, and, strike. And the way that you have uh, shaped this book and, and how you put it together for us as, as a tool set is you talk about these 12 resources. And the first one, I think you've already alluded to, uh, but if there's anything else you want to share with us about this, the first one was awareness, Right. And so that that initial awareness that it was both sides of the plane, once you guys figured that out and once there was some level of announcement, I mean, clearly the flight crew, um, you know, had to act very quickly once they realized they couldn't go back to LaGuardia. That's right. And I, I give all the credit to the crew because the crew acted not only professionally, but responded amazingly. And and I, I really do speak about awareness as, as the first time thing in the book because I wasn't aware. And I think many times in life, especially in business, when we're not aware, that's when bad things can happen in our lives. And whether you're, you look at, uh, you know, even in the Bible, people say to stay awake, right? And we're not, when we're not awake for things that can go on. We may miss opportunities or may miss things. So I, uh, I always encourage people, Chick, if you fly with me, which you have not, you will see me looking around at people not paying attention. So I know who's not going to be in the game if something does happen. Right. Right. So this, the second one, uh, and again, I mean, I, I, we both alluded to this in the conversation is the first thing for anyone, whether you have deep faith to begin with or you don't, the second thing that has to kick in is some level of faith. So for some, that might be promising that you will stop living the way that you've been living if God will just, you know, keep this plane from crashing, right? And for others who have a deep faith, it's really, you know, getting to the place where you can let go and just believe that God is going uh, to protect you, right? So, so where were you on that spectrum before the crash and, and what happened to your faith after the crash? Well, great question, because I, I've always been believed in a larger, great, greater being. And that's why I speak in this in the chapter about faith is a number of levels of faith, whether you're, it's spiritual-based faith, which I had, 
and basically being able to let go because one thing, Chicky, you realize when you're going down in a plane crash or you talk to some of these folks I get to talk to, whether they're first responders or military, you know, the only thing you can control is your mind. And, you know, and if everything else is out of your control. So you better be able to control your mind and have faith in something. But the other type of faith that I talk about is faith in each other and, and having faith that the other person is going to do the right thing. And it's like being, you know, in, in, driving NASCAR, like I they live in Charlotte. You know, you got to make sure that next car next to you is going to do the right thing or you could have a very fatal situation. So there's a number of levels of faith. But for me, about faith was spiritual. And, and one of the first questions I was asked uh, when I did my first interview with uh, in Rick Warren's you know, magazine was about that. And I, I, tell pe I told people, was like, I want people to have a, this is not a faith changing thing for me. But it was a strong reference for my faith. Things get sideways every day in our lives. At least I have some, something to fall back on a reference. To say, you know what? If I can get through this, I can get through this, whatever challenge I've got right now. And I think people need to look at faith at uh, maybe a different level so they can be able to face things and their challenges in a different way. Right, right. So then you move on to certainty. And again, I, I, you talk about the mind. I am quite certain that there were many people who believed that those were the last moments of their life. And, and again, whatever you think about, whether it's regret or whether it's family or whether, uh, you know, you know what's on the side, the other side, so you're actually okay and maybe even looking forward uh, to what's on the other side. Um, everybody had a different degree of certainty on the plane that day. So, so where did certainty come in for you and what was it that you were certain of? Well, I was certain of myself, and that's number one. And one of the things I learned from those many years being with Ron Tony was in, you know, in the moments of uncertainty, the most certain person becomes the leader. So the, it doesn't matter whether you're the janitor or you're the CEO of ExxonMobil. If you exhibit certainty to somebody, all of a sudden they look to you for leadership. So I think there was a number of leaders on the plane that day. Uh, and hopefully I exuded enough certainty, especially after the plane got down. That's where I think my my certainty really kicked in because I've been in challenging situations before and I could hopefully exude enough certainty that people would look and be able to do what they needed to do to get the, the best outcome possible. And I think that's what everything, but that's what really happened that day. People right. stepped up. Some people started to step back. I, I talk about that in certainty. Likewise, Chickie, it's like sometimes you learn that you don't have the right skill set to handle something. One of the right. great things about great leaders is they know when to step back so that other people have better skill sets handle a situation. Well, I think that's really interesting. And I mean, you mentioned that day not sitting in the exit row. I mean, I frequently do sit in the exit row. And yeah. of course, every time you do that, you think, man, should I have done this? I mean, would I really be okay? And how would I react in crisis? And again, like you, I've flown so much. Um, uh, I frequently don't pay attention to, to the safety uh, information. So, um, you know, you talk then about responsiveness and I know you had a moment and clearly being in row 15, you didn't have to be the last person out of that plane. In fact, you probably shouldn't have been. However, um, you know, somebody had to respond, right? To the panic, to those who weren't certain maybe even about their faith, right? I mean, there are just so many things going on in that moment. 
So where did responsiveness come in? Well, I really think it came in when, um, you know, when, when you're on the exit side, because what happened to me was <coughs> I, my game plan was to get to the aisle, get up and get out. I mean, that was in the last moments before impact. That's why I said to myself, if I survive, aisle up out. When I got to the aisle, something happened that changed the game plan immediately. And that changed my responsiveness. And what I hear, heard is my mother, who had passed away in 1997, say something in my head that I heard her say before is, if you do the right thing, God will take care of you. And that gave me certainty to be able to respond. And that's why I went towards the back of the plane to see if anybody needed help, because I knew I was okay. But anybody else need help? But that's how I responded to the back of the plane. And fortunately, everybody was starting to move. And I just got behind everybody else. So that's, I think that's, that's how I, I, I use my responsiveness. And, I also sort of mentioned something alluded to it in the previous you know, question. It was about sometimes you have to check your ego at the door. Sometimes you have to step back and let other people do what they do best. So uh, that's a way of responsiveness. Likewise, you respond to somebody else who has a better skill set. So it, so many great business lessons come out of this, but responsiveness is one of the, definitely one of the key ones. Right. And so the next lesson and, and uh, resource that you talk about is state management. Explain that term to me. Yeah, and some people don't understand that term. It really means how do you manage your mind? Um, and, and that's it's about how to manage people, how to manage your state. How do you manage your mind? And I, like I also mentioned earlier, one of the only things you can really control when you're going through something like this, whether it's, you know, it's a, it's a plane crash or you're going through something very traumatic, uh, it's how you control your mind. And what questions do you ask yourself? And there's three ways. I think it's, it's, it's common knowledge. You do it through your physical, you know, what you do your physiology, what you, what you focus on, and the questions you ask yourself. And that's how I always be able to manage my state. Now, I wasn't able to get up and move my body around because you're in a confined space. And I really wasn't focusing. I really was different questions in my mind and asking myself, how do I do this? What do I do next? So I controlled my state through questioning. Got it. Got it. And then you talk about the importance of sensory acuity, right? Really yeah. being aware of what's going on around you and then communication. And I'm, I'm sure there was a, a high degree of chaos. Uh, again, some that were probably panicked and crying and, you know, just not, not knowing what to do and not having the ability to control their own state, right? Let alone the state of others. So how did sensory acuity and communication play out for you in those coming moments? Well, sensory acuity is one of the key things I think um, not only great leaders have, but the ability to be able to use all your modalities. And primary, your, your primary modalities you can use, of course, visual, auditory, and kinesthetic. There's also you know, your senses of your smell and taste. But that day, for me, it was primarily those three. And what happened was, as I was hanging out of the plane, because I never got on the wing, there was a lady in the middle of the wing that wasn't moving. And I knew, you know, she was just, she was either stalled, scared. You don't, I, you don't know what's happening, but she's not moving. People need to walk down a wing, and because we're all in a plane going down. So uh, that's when I went into really auditory, auditory mode. I started yelling at her. Now, you know, she looked at me like, "Who's this old man yelling at me?" But what happened was I got her attention, and that's I tell people that's one of the ways I use my my, my sensory acuity is I really be able to cue in what's that my primary modality, how does somebody else respond or learn quickly? 
and I learned how to do that so I you know I could change my modality to fit that and that's how I used it that day got it and and so then the next one was focus yeah yeah and, and it comes all down I always sort of mentioned focus previously about how to manage your mind and through your state but you know focus you know focusing and that's how you know geniuses become geniuses whether well, you're the captain and having to focus at that moment right and you know and, and just and if you watch the movie it's pretty accurate but you know i think everybody that day had to put a certain focus in on this is the outcome we want and i heard it very distinctly later on is no one dies today that was sort of the focus and the internal mantra that no one here is going to die and i think that so as long as everybody focused on that one outcome that's i think how to turn this thing from a tragedy to a miracle so you know, the ability to be able to focus in a, in a millisecond moment to get an outcome is one of the key traits of leadership, one of the things I teach now about leadership. Right. And then you talked about anticipation. And, and again, you guys knew that at some point you were going to have to go into the water, right? And that water was going to be cold. Yep. And, and I'm fairly certain, and I don't remember, was the wind blowing uh, at a pretty stiff clip that day too? Well, it was, I would say it was breezy, but uh, it, it, the water was 36 degrees. It was 11 degrees outside, and I don't remember the wind, how, very windy, because things are going pretty quick. Right. Um, but it's, it, it was darn cold, to say it that way. So, so the anticipation, uh, as you were going down, right, I mean, there, there is the anticipation, uh, that moment that you do believe that death uh, could be on the other side of that. But uh, what about the other moments of anticipation that you experience? Yeah, I, I, I think, and I always have learned and talk about the anticipation is really one of the key distinctions between good and great. Because, you know, it's like Wayne Gretzky, right? He, he always went to where the puck's going to go. So I was, I was thinking, what's my next move, two, three moves down the road? My, dad, my father taught me that skill set. So that day I was thinking, okay, what's my next move? Well, you know, what's my next, if this doesn't happen, what am I going to do? And so I wasn't, I wasn't able to get on the wing. So I, my game plan, I had to anticipate, like, if I don't get on the wing, the game plan is I have to swim because the plane is going down. So I was using, you know, what's the next, I always in my mind I was going, what's the next move? What's the next move? And I was always trying to see maybe one to two steps ahead, which served me greatly that day. Are you a chess player, Dave? I used to be. I used to be a chess player. I was, I was, I was decent, nothing of extraordinary, but I could hold my own. <laughs> well, you know? my, dad, my dad taught me how to play chess when I was eight years old. And, yep. and while uh, I don't play frequently anymore, my, my teenage son and my husband do play. And I think that that, that skill set that comes out of that really leads into the next uh, item, which is risk assessment of if I do this, then this is going to happen, which is actually a great characteristic of a leader because we must be able uh, to think and, and make sometimes lightning fast decisions. And I'm, I'm a serial entrepreneur, I'm a tech CEO, and you know that, that really is kind of my middle name is that ability to pivot, right? Based right. on risks and learning. So. So risk assessment in this particular case, uh, every step you took was a risk that day. Yes, yes, it was. Every decision I made had, like my mother always told me, there was always positive and negative consequences. So every move that I made. So you know, one of the things I talk about and it happened is we had a lady that went back in the plane to get her luggage. 
And now we sort of laugh about it, but that, that was a high risk move because I, I use that in a business sense because once she came back to get her luggage, now the whole focus of everybody who's was around the doors, but all of a sudden had to go focus on her instead of focusing in and assessing the risk of what was going on outside. Right. So that I, I tell people, and, and fortunately nothing transpired out of that and it worked out as we all really well. But that's one of those things that I tell people when you got to make those decisions to risk what's more valuable, you know, is my luggage. I said, but she was that gold in that luggage, right? Because it's like, you know, she went back in it, but being able to assess the risk that was going on constantly and making decisions quickly, because that's, that's what happened in the cockpit. He had less than what, two minutes to make those kind of decisions. Uh, he and the first officer, I think all of us had to make those risk-based decisions likewise. And, you know, what do you go or do you help? Do you stay at the right. door or do you, do you get on the wing? Those kind of risk assessments were made, I think, by everybody that day. Right. And you also talked about the importance of persistence. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I, you know, that's, that's a basic of, you ever been, I was in sales for 30 plus years. You know, they always talk that the, the best, best salespeople are the ones who are persistent. They don't give up. And I, and I think it goes back to that sort of that mantra that we all had in our heads, but was, it was really shared during the movie Sully is no one dies today. And we're going to, you know, I think everybody's going to go until that outcome got, got taken care of. Even, you may, even in the movie, you saw Tom Hanks saying, I need a number, I need a number, because everybody was persisting. Is this thing really over? Because it really wasn't over until that moment, until everybody was signed off and everybody got out and there was no deaths. So, right. you know, I think everybody persisted the, the amount they had to persist. And I did because I was in the hospital, I had hypothermia, I was going down. Unfortunately for me, I had great people around me that gave me the strength and the persistence to be able to hang in there. Clearly, this whole experience was a lesson in teamwork, right? Uh, because if, if, you, if it had been every man for himself, every man or every woman for himself, right, uh, it might not have turned out the way it did. I agree. And that's an interesting, Jakey, one of the first questions I was asked in the hospital on, in the media was, was it really women and children first? And I said, no, it wasn't. And all of a sudden I got, uh, people were like looking at me. I was like, no, there's a guy at the door who got the door out. He got on the wing, helped other people. I said that sometimes <clears throat> you just have to take the lead and do what you got to do. And right. I tell people, it's amazing how 155 people who did not know each other or care about each other come together in less than six minutes to do it, get an outcome that never been gotten before. How does that happen? Because you check your egos at the door, a leader step up, and you do what you have to do and persist, all these things. It all comes down to teamwork. Right. Well, and to your point, though, uh, teamwork without a level of leadership and individuals who have the awareness, the faith, the certainty, the responsiveness, the ability to manage their mental state, the sensory acuity and communication, focus, anticipation, risk assessment, and persistence, right? Those characteristics, while they can be experienced by the average individual, are really the collective set of characteristics of a true leader. And whether you're, uh, to your point, whether you are a CEO of a company or you're a janitor, um, you know, these characteristics are still things that were packed in our bag, right? I call the, many of those things, my superpowers, right? Because God packed those in my bag uh, 
you know, literally, uh, if, if you believe in what, what the Bible says, right, my bag was packed before the foundation of the earth was poured, right? right. And God knew who I was going to be, and he knew what I was created to do. And he knew, uh, you know, a long time before that flight ever took off, he knew that you were going to be on that plane that day. Right. And the fact that you guys finished your job early, and I'm sure you've had many, many reflections back on that day of what would have happened had you just stayed in your first class seat. Right. If, if Dave Sanderson had not been on that plane to be one of the last people to make certain that everyone got out safe and that no one died that day, what would have or could have happened? And so that act of leadership. Uh, of, of not doing something, right? Not just saying, hey, I'm just going to hang around LaGuardia and, and uh, you know, just be in my comfy seat to go home. Yeah, I think everybody, Chickie, was on that plane for a reason and a purpose. Everybody, every seat, every seat, person in every seat was there for a reason. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, as, as you know, and I, I know and I teach, you know, the two key tenets of leadership are, are being resourceful and being able to solve problems quickly. And all these things we talked about the last 15 or so minutes are the resources that come together to give the leader, leader the skill sets to be, have a leadership, be able to solve problems quickly. And I think that's, that's what happened. You had leaders step up who were resourceful. And right now, if I, when I tell, especially millennials and younger people who are getting into the workforce, and they ask me what one skill could they, should they have above anything else, I said, the ability to be resourceful. Absolutely. It's not about the, not about the resources you don't have about how resourceful you can be and should be. That is so, so true. And, you know, as you tell your, your story on your website and, and uh, in, in speaking, you talk uh, about the role of the American Red Cross. My, my chairman of the board happens to be a senior vice president with the American Red Cross. And Very so nice. this popped out at me uh, uh, that, you know, as you have been out speaking, uh, you've raised uh, well over $14 million for the American Red Cross. Tell us about the, the Red Cross volunteer that day, because there, there are many, many people who uh, maybe don't think of themselves as leaders, but maybe they're that volunteer that has a blanket. So most, talk to me definitely. about that. Most definitely. I have a strong passion for the Red Cross because I had three Red Cross experiences in a 14-hour period. Not only at shore when someone helped me with the blanket, but at the hospital, when I didn't have any clothes, someone got me some, I tell people some ugly sweats. I sort of make it funny of it, but someone we showed up and I tell people, when you don't have anything, Chicky, you have no food, no money, no clothes, no friends, you have nothing. And someone shows up with a bag of clothes for you, and all of a sudden it becomes very important. And then when I got back to Charlotte, the CEO of the Red Cross in Charlotte was taking care of my family. So I, I had three Red Cross experiences. And Every one of us, and I tell people, every one of us will be, have a challenging time in their life. No one gets through life un, unscathed. I, I don't care if you're the queen of, queen of England or you're just somebody who's uh, living in their house going about their business. And the Red Cross is there every single moment, every single day. And they were there for me and my family. And it's my commitment and my, I feel my duty to help them be able to raise money, to have the funds available. So the next time somebody has a disaster or traumatic life experience, something, at least they have the resources to be able to help that person like I was helped and so many of us were helped that day. That day is one I know that you will never forget. Your, your, certainly your family uh, will never forget. And thank you for sharing the story about the Red Cross uh, taking care of them while they were waiting, you know, to get news of, 
of what was going on because I'm, I'm certain, uh, you know, as I saw it first on the news, there were many family members that that was their first uh, inclination of, of what was going on and it had to be absolutely frightening. Um, Dave, your, your courage that day and your willingness to tell this story, right? I know writing a book uh, isn't easy. Uh, promoting a book and, and actually uh, getting this story in the hands of the people who need to hear it uh, is also not an easy thing. I think, you know, people think that once you get published, uh, you know, all of a sudden money just begins rolling <laughs> in the door. And yep. <laughs> as, as an author myself, I know that not to be true, which is precisely why I interview uh, authors every week so that I can help them get their message out. But Dave, thank you so, so much. So what if you were to leave us with one thought, and, and maybe I'm going to have you be a little bit more focused in this. You selected the title Moments Matter uh, for this book. And uh, I know from reading Cindy's intro to the book that, that there's a story behind that. Why don't you share that story with us uh, as we wrap up? Well, <clears throat> thank you, because you know, that title, we were going back and forth, like all of us, like you and me, we, when we go through this, we're bantering back and forth. But how it really came about is where I'm sitting right now in my seat, I got a phone call from my wife. She got a phone call from one of our neighbors down the street who needed help with her TV. And they were two older ladies uh, and they were living together. And, you know, you're a neighbor, right? And you're going to go down and help them. And pretty good at getting TVs fixed. I, that's one of my skill sets I'm really good at. So I went down there to help these two, two older ladies. It took me less than three minutes. But they asked me to stay for milk and cookies. Now. I love milk and cookies, but I really love milk and cookies from older ladies who could probably bake. So I'm, I'm, I'm all in, right? I'm like, sure, I'll stay here. And so they were getting their milk and cookies. They had this, this table, and they had all these books laid out. And I was looking at one, and I pulled one out. It was about World War II. And I love World War II history. I love being, because I think history repeats itself. As I, as I was looking through this, I was noticing things. There were pictures of concentration camps. And I'm like, whoa. I, you know, so I look at this. I said, where did you get this? And the ladies, when they came out, rolled up their sleeves and showed me the numbers down their arms. Oh, my. They were in those concentration camps, and they lost their whole family. That's why they lived together the rest of their entire life. And I asked, I said, please, let me, let me record this story. Because, uh, excuse me, because you know, they're probably not going to be around too much longer. And this story needs to be told. But they, so they wouldn't let me record it, but they told me the story. So when I got back to the office, I called Cindy and the rest of our team. I said, listen. I just had an amazing experience and I realized all these moments in their life mattered and they survived one of the most challenging, horrific situations in the history of the world. I said, mine wasn't that, you know, that, but I realized that all the moments in my life led me to all that happened that day and me with how I responded. And that's when Cindy said, that's it. This is, this is, it's about all the moments in your life that they really do matter because they do add up for that one significant moment. And now on my next talk, and we don't mind me sharing this, is I went to, I, I'm teaching people and showing people about everybody's got that, you know, their, what I call their distinct or unique advantage. And people are really looking for what is theirs because what they're looking for is that point in time that changes everything, which right. I call the pitch. The point in time that changes everything. And it's all oh, about wow. all these moments. So this is my next uh, venture, my next book. You just sort of got a preview of my next book. and. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was so moved by that. It really changed the destiny of how we were going to do the book. 
Well, that that is really an amazing story. And, you know, it's funny, years ago, uh, I used to do a bit of public speaking. I don't do much anymore since I moved to uh, building tech companies. Uh, but I used to talk uh, about black holes and diamonds. And I didn't know before I gave the talk that diamond mines weren't the same kind of mines that you would see that were, you know, burrowed into the side of a mountain, but it was actually this big black hole. And the bigger the black hole, the more diamonds are in it. And I think as we trace back the things that happen in our lives, um, when you look at the really good things, whether it's meeting a spouse or getting a job or getting an opportunity, it's typically preceded by something that you would call a black hole. Right. So uh, I'll be very interested uh, to hear about your new book once that has form and shape. So uh, please let me know when that is published and, and we will get together again. Thank you. I'm excited and we're, we're excited to be able to share this, uh, this new idea and concept. Well, thank you so much, Dave. It has been really incredible. We have been speaking with Dave Sanderson. The book is Moments Matter, How One Defining Moment Can Create a Lifetime of Purpose. Go out and change your day, find your purpose, and make sure that your moments matter. Thanks again, Dave, and have a great day. Thank you. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation with Chickie Fitzgerald. Like what you just heard? Visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business.